0: do we live in that says that that movie idols and icons are perfectly healthy balanced and their families bring them total happiness what world is that there is no more unrealistic conclusion than to conclude that the evil are happy that a life apart from scripture is one that's truly happy where does the world prove that over and over again if if we will look In the headlines, beyond just kind of the the things that strain us, we, we see the answers of Scripture saying, this is not the way to go.
1: This weekend on the Songtime broadcast, we're beginning our summer psalm series. This message from Brian Chapel will ask the question from Psalm 73, why do the wicked prosper? We'll discover a great lesson, including a gospel proclamation, as we look at Psalm 73. Stay tuned for that, but first, we're talking about doctrine and theology. We're joined by Ken Ham as we talk about the God of creation. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening The Songtime Radio. Over the course of this year, we have challenged you to study doctrine and theology. That's why we've made available the book by Paul David Tripp, Do You Believe? Twelve Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life. It's easy for us to think that theology doesn't matter, especially to the common man, but the truth is, without theology, we are subject to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by every world philosophy. We need to make sure that we are grounded by truth, especially those that are central to the Christian faith. And this weekend, we're looking at the doctrine of creation, why it's important for us to understand that God created the heavens and the earth. Our guest this weekend is Ken Ham, who is the founder of Answers in Genesis, as well as the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. And Ken, this is a subject that many of our listeners are trying to wonder: Why is it so important? Why is this foundational to the Christian life? Uh, it, it, if we can just, just accept that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, why worry about creation? That is a separate issue all into itself. So, how does the doctrine that God created the heavens and the earth affect our understanding of the gospel?
2: Well, if you take the doctrine of creation out, then number one, where do we come from? Mm-hmm. Are we just the product of natural processes? So then, who is Jesus? Because, you know, the Bible in Colossians 1 says he's the creator. Um, and and the fact that God created us, um, I mean, you think of what it says in Revelation, you are worthy because you have created. And then And that's Revelation 4, Revelation 5. You are worthy because you were slain. Our Creator became our Savior. He created us, and we are finite beings, and we're all sinners. He created the first man. So if you think about it, a man brought sin and death into the world, so a man would need to pay the penalty for sin and death. Um, But we're all descendants of Adam. We're all one race. We're all sinners. So none of us can pay the penalty for sin, so God steps into history as the creator in the person of his son to be the perfect sinless son of God, to be our relative of our family, to be the God man, to die on a cross, be raised from the dead, and offer as a free gift of salvation. If he is not the creator, uh, because our creator is infinite in and, 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 uh, goodness. He's He's infinite in power, infinite in mercy, infinite in love. If our creator didn't, die for us um, then how can we be saved you can't have a finite being dying for us and so it it affects the entire gospel entire understanding of of the gospel and of salvation if god is not creator if jesus who is god is not
1: creator. Mm. I find this really important, especially within our culture today, because if if we if God did not create us and therefore He doesn't have that uh, preeminence over us as, as this ownership, that He created all things, all things belong to Him, then it leaves us to be able to say, well, I don't really agree with the God's standard of, of sin. I don't agree with His standard of righteousness. It, it allows, allows for that level of, of discussion and debate. Was, it seems that God is too harsh sometimes in His judgment. Why can't He let me live my life and let me be happy the way I want to be happy? But if God is owner, if He is in control, if He created you, then He has that right to say what is right and what is good and what is appropriate.
2: Well, exactly. I mean, he's the creator. He does own us. And, and, you know, there's another part of this that we can't ignore. And the fact is, when you read Genesis 3 1, when the devil came to Eve and said, Did God really say? So the temptation that they gave into was to doubt the word of God. But then it says in Genesis 3 5, You will be as God. In other words, you can be your own God. And our nature is that we don't want God telling us what to do. We want to be our own God. It's it's part of our sin nature. Look, he has given us life. Uh, he's the one that created us. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. And yet we want to throw God out and say, no, I want to be my own God. But that's our sin nature. That That's our problem that we have. And that's why we need to kneel in submission to the one who created us and who tells us what is wrong with us. And I mean, he's placed us on us the judgment of death. I mean, if you throw God out, what happens when you die? You When you die, um, when I talked to uh, Bill Nye, when I was taking him through the Ark encounter and debating uh, him there, I said, what happens when you die, uh, Bill? He says, when you die, you're done. And I said, if when you die, you're done, then what's the point of you arguing with Christians or creationists? Uh, because ultimately, uh, you won't even know you were here. And then he said, yeah, but maybe someone can make some great discovery or something or other and i said yeah but then when they die they're done and he said yeah but they can pass on that knowledge to others who can make some discovery and i said yeah but when they die they're done and i said ultimately everyone dies everyone's done there's no purpose there's no meaning it's all stupid it's ridiculous i mean he he did not have an answer to that and the point is the bible makes it very clear when we die we're not done and we're going to spend eternity with God or without God. And he's told us because we're sinners and rebelled against him, if we do not receive the free gift of salvation that he offers, then we will spend eternity without him. And we have to understand who God is. He created us. We rebelled. He loves us so much. He's provided a way for us uh, to come back to be with him. And he's the one that has a right to tell us uh, what is right, what is wrong, what is wrong and what it means that we're a sinner and so on. So, you know, the doctrine of creation is foundational it's foundational to everything.
1: We've been talking with Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis, also the founder of the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. If you'd like to find out more information about him and our topic today, you can head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. The doctrine of creation is crucial to the Christian life, and that is why theology and doctrine is so important that we have the right answers, the right understanding of who God is and what He is doing in our world. Again, if you want to find out more information about this series of breaking down various doctrines of the Christian faith, you can head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. Well, today we are continuing as we are working our way into our Summer Psalm series. Summer has finally arrived here on Cape Cod. I wonder where it is around where you're living. Uh, but here for the summers, we like to delve into the book of Psalms. And this year, we're going to be in book three of the Psalms. And this message starts off with Psalm 73, a Psalm of Asaph, a priest in the temple who is asking a question I'm sure you've asked as well. Why do the wicked prosper? An amazing message today from Brian Chapel at The Closer Look at Psalm 73.
0: Asaph was apparently a worship leader in Israel, identified as a Levite. There are 12 psalms in our Bible by Asaph. And interestingly, almost everyone is dealing with the most honest statements of the human condition. What we might almost fear to say in the church, Asaph is willing to say. The problem he is addressing in Psalm 73... Why do good things happen to bad people and not to me? Can you identify with a psalmist who said, when I saw the prosperity of evil, my foot had almost slipped. I wondered what good is faith. In this world, where it seems like that which is so contrary to God is in fact prospering all the time. And of course what he is saying, verse 4, is clear. They have no pain There there are no pangs for them until death. They are fat and sleek. Verse 5, they are untroubled. Verse 11, God doesn't even notice. Verse 12, they are always at ease and prospering. So what good is it to be good? Verse 3, pretty plain. I was envious of the arrogant. Verse 13, in vain I kept my heart clean verse 14, maybe most honest of all, all the day long I had been stricken and rebuked every morning. God is mean to me. Now we may say we know it's wrong, but in our heart of hearts we recognize the tone, if not the very words. And you need to whine a little bit to understand, of course, the tonality of the psalm. But making it just that personal is exactly what we need to do to to not push this away from us and just say it's somebody else it's it's some complaint that I can't recognize no we understand the feelings if we will search deep into our own hearts if we are faithful we say why do our children and spouses get sick or turn away from us or turn away from the faith that we raised them in. But at the same time, we see others who are not solid Christians, who are not faithful, who do not name the name of Jesus. And they get the good jobs and the fast promotions and the attractive spouses and the fancy homes and the carefree lives and the healthy families. And the real question ultimately comes not only why do the evil prosper, but why not me? And maybe just a little hint of the answer is because the real concern is not their prosperity, it's my envy. <laughs> I want what they got. I want their stuff. Why doesn't being a Christian mean I get what I want? More real candor when you kind of push in is finally the psalmist saying in verse 15, if I had said I would speak thus, if I tell you what's really on my mind, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And it's that, that little moment of sobriety that actually begins to lead the psalmist down a whole nother path. Do you remember what he says in verse 16? When I thought how to understand all of this unfairness, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Oh yeah, there, there is much to trip the soul in our world. But what settles your heart? What settled the heart of the psalmist? He said, a sanctuary perspective. I went into a safe place with my hard questions. You can come and ask your hard questions in a safe place. And what you're, you're learning, what this safe place, this sanctuary for the psalmist began to explain to him is that God is not done. Yes, there, there are hard things. There are things that don't make sense. But, but God is not done with everything that's going on. Verse 18 and 19. Truly, Lord, you, you set them, that is the evil, in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Evil illusions may seem to have their day. But let me just ask you, honestly, 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 what world do we live in that says that that movie idols and icons are perfectly healthy, balanced, and their families bring them total happiness? What world is that? There is no more unrealistic conclusion than to conclude that the evil are happy, that a life apart from Scripture is one that's truly happy. Where does the world prove that? Over and over again, if, if we will look in the headlines beyond just kind of the, the things that strain us, we, we see the answers of scripture saying, this is not the way to go. And it's not just that there is temporary insecurity and evil. God is honest enough to tell us something more. Verse 27, behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. There is an end to wickedness. And at the end of wickedness, there is judgment. And that realism is what Christians are to be taking into account. It's to settle ourselves. Is that really a better path? Is that really where I want to be going? God is telling us to take off our rose-colored glasses and look at the world as it really is. When he does that, he says this plainly. Listen, everything thing. Good, the wicked will ever receive will be in this short span of life. And that's it. And there is a contrast. Remember the contrast, verse 21 and 23. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. I love the Bible being so honest. I was asking all these insulting questions, kind of like saying, why do they get rich? Why do they have happy lives? And I suffer. Why do you treat me badly? And even though the psalmist says, I was like a beast toward God. Listen to this great grace. Yet you are with me and your right hand holds me. The father keeps holding even when the child cannot hold on. It's the the mark not of feet being in slippery places, but a hand firmly clasped. If that is what God is saying, we recognize it's not just a promise of security. It is a promise of guidance. It's ultimately verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me up to glory. It's, it's not just security. It's, it's the Father God saying, as I hold you, as you hold on to me, I will guide you through life. And knowing that is actually giving us the ability to say what the Psalmist says, I have nothing I desire on earth. Beside you. Do you see that verse 25? Whom am I in heaven but you? But it's not just some heavenly. There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. For me, in my years of preaching, I think a verse that I have struggled with so much. How do I, how do I myself claim this if not explain it to others? Verse 26. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you could be promised, That the most powerful being of the universe, the king of all creation, would be near you. And regardless of what happened in life, he would never leave you or forsake you. He's for you. He's holding you. And what do I need beside that? That that is my deepest, dearest desire is to know that that God is with me and for me. And even if this life is not all that I hoped it would be, he will take me into glory. All the troubles you will ever know are only here, and glory awaits you forever. And if that is the reality, we worship a God of great grace and wonderful favor who is using our lives to reach with the testimony of the gospel those who desperately need it in a world full of unfairness, whose realities teach them over and over again. That the path you're on away from God is not contentment and is not happiness. It's not rewarding.
1: I love book three of the Psalms because they're written by worship leaders like Asaph or the sons of Korah. All of these Psalms seem to have a, a call to the church. That's why I like to call them Psalms That Preach. And in today's message, Psalm 73, asking that very important question why do the wicked prosper? It's very easy for us to be distracted by the things of the world, to see all that's happening in the world, and ask that question why are good people prospering when it's so hard for us who are carrying the cross? We're following Jesus. We are working to advance the kingdom of God, especially here in New England and the Northeast. Why is it so difficult for us to do the work that God has called us to do? listen, I'm in a Christian nonprofit. I'm a pastor of a local church. I understand those struggles. I experience them on a regular basis. But here is the answer to that question. Jesus never said that following him would be easy. He never said that it would be a breeze. He said that there would come troubles and, and persecution and trials in this life. But ultimately, in every single step, God would be faithful to us. He would keep his promises. In fact, he's already kept the most important promise to bring a Redeemer to save us from our sins. And if Christ truly died for our sins, and we are forgiven, and he rose from the dead, and he has granted to us eternal life and a righteousness that we could never achieve on our own, then why are we worried about the small stuff? That's all it is. They're all small things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you but focus on God. Don't focus on the things of this world. Asaph, one of the things that Asaph does wrong is he is focusing on all of the promises. His eyes, it says early in the morning, he started thinking about this. And here's my little tip for you today. What you think about the first thing in the morning is what's going to affect you the rest of the day. So don't look at social media. Don't, don't look at the news. Start your day with the Word of God. Start your day with something rich. Start your day with the broadcast here at Songtime because that will help you to frame your mind and your worldview and perspective for the rest of the day. Then keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Look, uh, look fully into his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace." I hope that this encourages you today. If it has, I hope that you'll be be an encouragement to us. uh, With your gifts and your giving, really, we are dependent upon you, our listeners, for your support. The only way that we can stay on the air, if you've been encouraged please consider giving back to our ministry. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call, 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, verses 4 through 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.